Hey y'all, welcome to Syracuse Speaks, the view from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. Every time I sit down with you all to record one of these episodes, I always think to myself, eh, this update shouldn't take too long. This episode should be easy to knock out in whatever amount of time that I have to do it in. It never actually happens that way, as I'm sure you've probably noticed. I mean, I didn't mean to have last time's episode go for like almost 40 minutes. And I tell you, I am not lying when I say that I edited that podcast on Dan Smith and the two jerseys that I have of his twice for length to try to cut out as much repetition and uninteresting things as I possibly could. Because, of course, nothing is as interesting to other people as our own memories are to us. I think I said that correctly. Basically, we assume that everybody cares about the same things that we do because we care so much about these things. And why wouldn't anybody want to listen to us rhapsodize for 40 frickin' minutes about this bond that you formed with a hockey player over a decade ago? Of course they would. So I promise you, I really did try to edit that down for length, but I do think that it was a fun and interesting perspective on a point in crunch history. I didn't get any hate mail from it, so I suppose people enjoyed it at least somewhat, or else I'm sure I would have heard about it. So that's kind of good. So starting off this week, I have no news about what's going on in the American Hockey League. We have heard nothing. We know nothing. Nothing has changed as far as we know, but I did want to read you something that recently came out, and I'm sure you will probably get the gist as far as why I am reading this to you as soon as I start, but I'm just going to go ahead and read a couple quotes from this release that I found on Twitter thanks to Patrick Williams and 100 Degree Hockey. On Monday's video conference call, the 10 teams unanimously agreed that they cannot commit to a 2021 league season starting on December 5th as previously planned, and the season will be suspended. We've been very open that we need to have fans back in our arenas for us to begin playing again. We operate around 75% to 100% capacity at our venues, and this is the level of crowds we would need in order to go ahead at any point, which isn't a realistic option right now. If government guidance and support were to change, some teams may be ready to revise their plans to return to play and would need a minimum of eight weeks to prepare. This is not a release from the American Hockey League about suspending the 2021 season. Yet. In all honesty, the American Hockey League, and probably, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks from now, could probably just go ahead and copy and paste a lot of this release, which is actually from the EIHL overseas, and just release it as their own. Now, to be clear, and I do feel like I need to make this this point of clarity, I don't have any, any insider information on this. I haven't heard anything that you all haven't heard. What I do know is that There are a lot of places in this country where COVID-19 is still surging. What I do know is that I am currently working back in a school building where the amount of cleaning that we are being required to do in order to try to keep ourselves and our students healthy, in addition to everything else that we have to do throughout our day, is a lot. And I'm not gonna lie, it's a little bit of a burden. 
It's a burden that all of us gladly carry because if it means the difference between our students who chose to come back being in school and our teachers who chose to come back like me because we truly believed that the school building was where we could do the most good, can continue to work with those students. And if it means that we all can do it in a way that is healthy, we will continue to do it. I am not necessarily complaining. But what I am saying is that I have seen now what it takes to keep an elementary school running for eight hours a day with children and adults working together to make this work. I cannot imagine what it would take to keep an American Hockey League building going up and running with fans who aren't in cohort clusters, who don't have constant access to cleaning supplies, who don't have hand sanitizer dispensers at their seat, who don't have an extra box of masks in case the mask that they're wearing breaks or falls off their face and is dirty or whatever can happen, and who aren't sharing water bottles and who aren't sharing small spaces and who aren't interacting with all of these people from the street that wander in and need to buy tickets and need to buy merchandise and need to buy food and interact with front office people and teammates who practically live in each other's pockets for 10 months out of the year. Again, <laughs> I just do not see this league getting off the ground by December 4th. I really and truly don't. Patrick Williams just tweeted, I think it was just this past Monday, that the AHL owners have also said that they would need about eight weeks of lead, of lead time, which is exactly what the EIHL said in their release they would need if teams were able to come back. We have front office people that need to be either rehired or in the unfortunate case that they went someplace else, unfortunate but understandable, let me emphasize that too, replaced. We have fans and season ticket holders and single game seats if we can fit anybody else in our building that isn't a season ticket holder to sell. There's merchandise to take care of. There's finalizing plans for cleaning and keeping people safe and social distancing in the arenas. There is so many things that need to get done and again, as someone who literally just went through this in an elementary building, the amount of tape that that building is covered in right now to try to keep people social distanced and try to remind them where they need to be and where desks need to be and where people can and can't sit, it is an immense undertaking that these teams will have to do in order to get the season off the ground. I have no doubt in my mind that if there is a way that they will be able to do it, that they will do it. And again, I want to reassure all of you out there that Syracuse will still have a hockey team when all of this is said and done. I do not doubt that. Whether we play this season or not, whether it's a shortened season, whatever it is, there will be hockey in Syracuse eventually. I just don't know when. And I don't know what it's going to look like once it happens, because this is tough. So I'm looking at the release from the Cardiff Devils, which is the EIHL team that I read those quotes from. And 
the release has a picture of their building and it says that that the devils usually sell out at about a little over 3,000 people it looks like their arena only has one level so their arena is quite literally about half the size of the Onondaga County War Memorial which is why their percentage of 75% to 100% is higher than what Howard Dolgan has said the crunch needs Dolgan has stated that the crunch cannot play with anything less, I, I think if I remember correctly, he said 40% capacity. Anything lower than that, it's, it's impossible for the crunch to even dream of turning any kind of a profit or even breaking even. And it's just not possible to make those demands of putting on a hockey game meet the level of tickets sold if capacity is under 40%. So thankfully, the AHL's circumstances and the Syracuse Crunch's circumstances are not quite as extreme as those in the EIHL, or at least some of the teams in the EIHL, but there are still a lot of similarities here, and I can't help but look at their situation and their release as a model for what we might end up seeing in a couple of weeks. And believe me, I want hockey back just as much as everybody else. I miss it. It's only, you know, September, and normally we're looking forward to preseason at the end and then the regular season starting in October. And I haven't quite come to terms yet with the fact that that's not happening, that, that this isn't normal. It's been so long. And you know, it's funny because someone in school today was like, hey, you've had some hockey to watch lately. And to be honest, I, I haven't been. You know, I think that I I have an allegiance. We'll call it an allegiance to the Tampa, to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not only are there players up there that played in Syracuse that made an impression on me while they were here, like Yanni Gord, who I will continue to cheer for no matter what where his career takes him. Carter Verhage is another one that I've really enjoyed see success and you know not only do you have that aspect of things. I have a lot of friends who are Lightning fans. I have a lot of fellow bloggers and writers that I have worked with who obviously cheer and write about the Lightning. I am well aware that the Crunch organization itself owes a lot to the Lightning. Not only for changing the culture and everything that they have done since they came into town, the players that they've brought in that I have jerseys of that I'm going to be talking about on this series, the way that they have just completely revolutionized the way the game is played in the Onondaga County War Memorial, the help that they have given with the money that needed to be spent to revamp the building, and the fact that they have done so much since the AHL had to shut down with waiving or lessening affiliation fees and all that kind of stuff. I totally am, am willing to put that up front that, you know, cheering for the Lightning is not necessarily a hardship or anything. But I haven't really been watching because that's not my team. I'm thrilled that they are one win away from the Stanley Cup final, such as it is this summer. And I think that that's amazing for them. And I'm really glad that, that they've pulled it together and the team is performing at the level that people expect from them. That's wonderful. And I wish them all the luck in the world. And I really hope they go on and win a Stanley Cup because then the focus can be getting Syracuse a championship. And did I say that out loud anyways? But they're not my team. 
I miss my team. I miss the war memorial. I even miss the bird crap, believe it or not. Maybe not in the romantic way I miss that old building, but I miss normalcy. I miss seeing John and Karen in my section. I miss sitting next to my best friend and not paying any attention at all to what's going on on the ice because we're too busy joking with each other and making each other laugh and catching up over our week and what's been going on. I miss seeing Matt and I miss seeing all of the people whose faces I recognize but whose names I just don't know because we see each other 30 plus times a year and we ask about each other's families and we ask about what our lives are like and we compliment each other's nails and hair and but we just don't exchange names because we don't really need them. And I miss seeing the front office staff. You know, in some ways this closure has helped kind of get me back to the role that I was playing back when I first started all of this as more of a cheerleader and more of a area of support. And I never intentionally meant to get away from that role. As I've discussed before on this podcast, you know, my mental health took a hit about five or six years ago. I went through some things. I may or may not have gotten my heart broken and and it was tough. So, you know, unfortunately, my relationship with the front office suffered because I couldn't see the forest for the trees, as it were. And I'm not going to take all the blame because there were there were things, but I will say that it's been nice to be able to use this time to kind of recharge and reorganize my head around getting back into that cheerleader role again. And, you know, even joining with the Sinbin and leaving SB Nation, as much as I still love all of my SB Nation people and I still keep up with them and I'm so grateful that they let me hang around their Slack room so that I can keep up with their lives and see what's going on, I also think I personally needed a change and that change happened during quarantine. So, I mean, I do think that there were some good things that came out of this pause, but I'm ready for it to be over. I'm certainly not gonna sit here and say that I hope it goes on indefinitely. Hell no, I want my team back. I want my sport back. I want hockey back. I just, I'm very sorry to say that I don't see it happening in December. Well, those of you who looked at the title of this podcast and were expecting the whole thing to be about Mike Angelitis, sorry. (laughs) You know, I think that, of course, quarantine has been nothing if not isolating. And I think sometimes I need to just ramble a little bit. And I appreciate that I have kind of a captive audience here to allow me to do so. And I hope that I have also been able to kind of give a voice to how some of you all are feeling out there. And I absolutely encourage you to reach out to me if you are feeling this way or feeling any way like I am. 
Moving on though, we have a jersey collection to talk about. So tonight's topic is Mike Angelitis. And this is kind of hard because I don't want to assume that everybody listening was a fan of the Crunch when Mike Angelitis was here. Because I know for a fact that the Syracuse Crunch got a ton of fans during the 2016-17 playoff run, which Angelitis was unfortunately not a part of, having just been let go by the Tampa Bay Lightning the previous season. So I don't want to sit here and completely ignore everything in Mike Angelitis' career. Um, but I will admit, I'm kind of assuming that the majority of our listeners have an idea about who Angelitas is and what he means to the city of Syracuse. However, really quickly, so t- in total, Angelitas played in 681 regular season AHL games from starting in 2006 and ending in 2017 which was a season he should have been with the Crunch, but was not. And if I, (laughs) I could spend so much time on that particular topic and I'm not going to. So he spent four seasons with the Syracuse Crunch from 2012, which was the first season of the affiliation with the Tampa Bay Lightning to 2016. Angelitas has always been that kind of character veteran that a lot of AHL fans cling to. I am well aware that my admiration for Angelitas is not exactly unique. You know, I know that there were a lot of us that were upset when the Lightning chose not to re-sign him in 2016. It was hard when that happened, but you know, life moves on, especially in the American Hockey League. However, I think that no matter how far away from that last season, those four seasons that we get, as fans and that as the organization gets. Angelitas is still going to be one of those special ones. There's a reason why no one on the team has donned the number 10 since Angelitas left. The team is guarding that number because it deserves to be guarded. Angelitas was a huge part of the culture change that I referenced during the first half of this podcast when I talked about what the Tampa Bay Lightning has brought to Syracuse and how grateful I am as a fan that they did do this. He was the captain for those four seasons. And I will be the first to admit that at the start of the affiliation, when things seemed to be kind of off kilter and something just seemed weird, I was not Angelitas' biggest fan. In fact, in a lot of ways, I was his biggest critic. I am always willing to admit when I am wrong. And the not one but two jerseys bearing Angelitas' name in my jersey collection definitely speak to me being wrong about him. I've actually been racking my brains for about a week now ever since I decided to cover my Angelitas jerseys on this series as to when I changed my mind and what specifically made me change my mind. I'm sure if I read back through the hundreds of blog entries that I have written that mention Angelitas' name, I could probably figure it out, but I guess at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that he made an impression on me. And honestly, he made a positive impression on me from the first time I met him, which I still remember very clearly. It was during the New York State Fair in the summer of 2012. 
the Lightning had come into town. They had announced that they were changing their affiliation from Norfolk. And that August, the Crunch brought Angelitas to the State Fair to start meeting fans and begin to churn up some positivity for the affiliation change. I've kind of alluded to it on this podcast before, but the Anaheim years were rough. It was rough on the fans, it was rough on the front office, and it was rough on the relationship between hockey and Syracuse. So the Crunch made a really smart choice to bring Angelitas to the State Fair. He would become kind of that initial face of the new organization and the new partnership. I was introduced to Angelitas by name from uh, by a member of the front office staff, and he never forgot my name. At every season ticket holder event, at every crunch at your service, at every appearance from then on in, he greeted me by name. And I have to admit, that made an impression on me. To this day, there aren't that many hockey players, even the ones that I truly admire, that have actually used my name. And I think that names are important it means that someone sees you. It means that they see that you're there supporting them. It means that you're important enough to them to actually remember your name and use it. And it means that they acknowledge your existence. It was a big deal to me that he actually remembered my name just from that one interaction. And although, you know, it took me a little bit to fully warm up to him and appreciate everything he was doing for the team, for the community. He was always out doing community service. He was constantly doing appearances and making sure that he was visible, even through those portions of those seasons when he was hurt. One of the reasons I am sure that went into the Lightning deciding not to re-sign him was because Angelitas was coming off of not one, but two seasons where he had been pretty impacted by injuries, especially towards the end of the season. Angelitas was a really physical player. He played hard. Much like Dan Smith, he was not afraid to sacrifice his body for the game. And it showed. And, you know, again, it's one of those unfortunate facts of the sport that we love is that it tends to chew up and spit out the players that we admire the most. So, you know, it was the physicality of the game was tough on him for sure. And that showed. So I'm sure that that played a part into it. Not only do I have a very vivid memory of the first time I met Angelitas, I have a really vivid memory of the last time I got to speak to him in person. And it was the final game of the 2015-16 season. He had come off of a season where he was an honorary all-star when the weekend was hosted by Syracuse. The season before, he had had the best season he's ever had in the American Hockey League. He earned that all-star player-captain role in 2016, but unfortunately, he ended the season hurt. And so he didn't play in the last game. He was there because there were awards being given out and he did win an award that night, but he accepted it in a suit and tie instead of in his jersey. And there was a jersey auction after the game that night and my friend was bidding in the auction and so I was down there while she took care of the the business end of winning the jersey and stuff. And, And I had the opportunity to say goodbye to Angelitas. And you know, I mean, it wasn't, it's not like he was going off to war or anything. But 
I am grateful that I had that chance. Some of you may remember that I was behind the Twitter hashtag, have you hugged an Angelitas today? Which I started, I don't know, during one of the seasons he played in Syracuse because he just, during this particular stretch of time when I started the hashtag, he looked so frustrated and so done. And he was playing so hard every single night, regardless of what the team around him was doing. And I just felt like he needed a hug. And so I started this stupid hashtag, but I have to admit that hashtag led to some of the most genuine moments that I've ever had with a hockey player on the crunch. I somehow, and I, I, I say somehow as if I don't know how it happened, but in looking back at the story, if, you, if I told it to you now, you would think it was creepy. So I'm not going to tell you how that hashtag actually turned into actual hugs in person of support and, and nothing more. Um, I'd like to make it very clear that Angelitas never had a secondary agenda with any of our interactions. And, you know, as a female fan, you would, would like to hope that that goes without saying, but believe me, it doesn't. So, you know, I'm just gonna, just, I need to put it out there that there was never any nefarious undertones to anything. Our interactions were just genuinely filled with gratitude, both from my end of things for everything he was doing for the team in the city, and I felt from him for all of the support. So the two jerseys of his that I have, one is signed, one is not. I have an orange SYR jersey with the C on it, of course, and I love it. It's one of my most prized possessions, I would probably have to say. I really like the style of the orange jerseys. I have managed to get past the fact that I feel like we wear them just basically to kiss SU's butt. Um, Syracuse University is the looming shadow on the hill that never quite goes away, and their primary color is orange and they're the orange men and so you know whatever but i've gotten mostly past that and i can just appreciate the jerseys for what they are they have syr going down the front of the jerseys obviously that's the league abbreviation for syracuse and they just look so so sharp and just i love them and so when i had the opportunity to get an orange jersey of angelitas's i jumped at it and I believe that I got the jersey at the end of the 2015 season. I think. Might have been the end of the 2014, but I'm, I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> so it was one of the, I'm pretty sure it was 2015. But regardless, I was very, very, very very relieved to be able to finally add one of his jerseys to my collection because I really wanted one. That was one that I think had I not been able to get, I would have regretted it forever. Fast forward a couple seasons to the Crunch's 20th anniversary that took place, what, two seasons ago? And Angelitas was invited back for the opening night festivities where they had Crunch players from all different levels of the organization's history and affiliations and not surprisingly 
pretty unanimously, Angelitas was the one who needed to come back for that night to represent the Lightning era. And so they had a jersey for him to wear out onto the ice that night when he was introduced. And they, they later auctioned that jersey off. And much to my surprise, my best friend ended up winning it. And she just handed it to me one night. <laughs> so I ended up with two. And uh, that jersey was also a very special one because it was just good to see Angelita's back in the War Memorial. It was, it was nice. You know, I didn't get to speak to him that night. It, the, they weren't doing player appearances, and I think that the invited guests spent most of their time over in the new box seats, which, while wonderful, also kind of eliminate that, those interactions that are always kind of special. So, anyways, but, um, but yeah, so that's the other Angelitas jersey that I have, and it is special. It's the only... I guess it would be considered game issued. He, you know, it was never meant to be played in a game, to be worn in a game, obviously. So I guess it was the only game issued jersey that I have in my collection. But it's still a pretty special one to be able to call my own. So, you know, Angelitas is a, is a special one. And when he is elected into the AHL Hall of Fame, I will be sure to be there to cheer him on just as I did all those years when he played for Syracuse. I think that will do it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to leave me any feedback either on my personal Twitter, at Allovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O, or over at Sinbin Crunch, at S-I-N-B-I-N Crunch, C-R-U-N-C-H. I would also like to thank the artists that have provided our royalty-free tracks. The first is Purple Planet Music. They have provided the music for our intro, outro, and segment music. The second is Kevin McLeod. He has provided the music that you hear underneath my voice right now. Let's keep taking care of each other out there in Crunchland. Have a great week or two. See you next time.